you would please stand for reading of God's word. I'll read Mark 14 and then Psalm 116. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell down on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Psalm 116, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, precious in the sight of the Lord as the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Several years ago, I met with a man shortly before his death. He had spent an entire lifetime separated from Jesus Christ. He hated the church, he hated Christianity. He didn't just have doubts about God, he was angry at God. And yet, late in his life, the Holy Spirit got a hold of his heart. The scales were removed from his eyes and he saw Jesus Christ as his Lord and as his Savior. I'll never forget the conversations that we had. They were so refreshing for me. He had so many questions. He was in such awe all the time of the grace of God for him, recognizing how much that at one point in his life he hated him, and yet even in his hatred, God loved him. And yet even with this new faith that he had, he had deep struggles with certain aspects of his new faith. And of all the different doctrines that exist in the Christian faith, the one doctrine 
the one thing that he struggled with the most was the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper. And you say, well, how could that be? I mean, I myself perhaps have lots of thoughts and struggles, but none of it's ever been about communion. Well, I want you to think for just a second about what we actually practice in communion. A pastor like myself takes bread and wine and tells you that this is the body and blood of a man. And then I invite you, I encourage you to come and to eat this body and to drink blood. To him, this sounded utterly grotesque. It sounded barbaric. It sounded like some kind of sanctioned cannibalism. And as I sat there explaining the sacrament of communion to him, I realized something. It's possible to be a Christian, to partake in the Lord's Supper, and yet completely miss what is actually going on. Because though his questions were perhaps misguided and misinformed, there was a sense of wonder that he had about the Lord's Supper. He was seeing it with new eyes. And I realized that for me, communion had become nothing more than a ritual. My friends, tonight, I want you to see how profound the sacrament of communion truly is. That this is far more than a ritual much more than just tradition for the sake of traditionalism and much deeper than some superstition. But communion is nothing less than that word, that we have been invited to commune with the living God. That is only possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in just a few short moments, when we come forward to the Lord's table, what I want you to begin to recognize tonight is that you cannot understand communion unless you go back, unless you understand the Last Supper. But you cannot understand the Last Supper unless you begin to recognize that it's not just the Last Supper. It's the last Passover. Jesus shared a meal with his disciples in the upper room. It was not just any meal. It was the Passover meal. And when you think about the Lord's Supper, of all the images that might enter your mind tonight, perhaps the first is the image of the cup of Christ. And what I want you to see tonight is there's not just one cup. Rabbinic tradition says that at the Passover meal, there was not just one cup. There are four cups. Four cups, each cup representing a different aspect of the salvation that we have in God. His rescue of us. 
And so as Jesus gathered with his disciples, they drank not just one cup of wine, but four. Four cups. The cup of sanctification. The cup of deliverance. The cup of redemption. And the cup of salvation. And what this means for us tonight is that communion does not begin with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. But for us, we must begin to recognize that communion begins in the Exodus. And what we'll see tonight is that communion represents no less than the fulfillment of all of God's promises of redemption in Jesus Christ. So the first promise I want you to see that's been fulfilled for you tonight is this. You are loved. I want you to look with me. Mark 14, verse 12. We're told that the disciples wanted to know where they would share the Passover meal together. And so Jesus tells them to go look for a man because he has prepared a place, an upper room. And so there, as they gathered in the upper room for the Passover, the first cup of wine that they would have shared is what is called the cup of sanctification. And at the Passover meal, as this cup is shared, there is read from Exodus chapter 6, the first promise. God promised his people, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. The word sanctification is just a fancy word for being set apart. And so this is God's promise. He's saying, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to call you by name. I'm going to set you apart. In other words, I am going to love you, and I'm going to love you to the very end. Whatever it takes, my love will bring you back to myself. The idea is that God has a vision for his people, a vision that is born out of love. It's a deep calling that has existed since even before the foundation of the world. The Apostle Paul says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. What that means is that God loved you first. He loved you before you loved him. He loved you before you failed to love him. He loved you before you even knew his name. God loved you. And out of his great love for you, he has been pursuing you. He has called you by name. And he has made a promise to set you apart. In the Old Testament, the word for this is hesed. If you were with us just a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, we talked about this word. God's loyal, covenantal love, his unfailing love, the kind of love that is unconditional, without condition. I want you to think just for a moment about how much you want to be loved. Some of you don't want to admit that. But the truth is, that is a universal expression. Every single one of us 
We desire so deeply to be loved, and not just with any kind of love. We want to be loved unconditionally because we know that the truth is oftentimes we're not that lovable, are we? But the reality is the love that you and I experience, the love that we love one another with, and yes, even the love that we love God with is conditional. It comes with strings attached. It's the kind of love that says, I'll love you if you love me back. I'll love you if you do what I want you to do for me. That's the way that we love one another, and that's the way that we love God. But my friends, what I want you to see tonight is that is not the way that God loves you. Though you love him conditionally, his love is unconditional. His love preceded your love and your failure of love and his love is covenantal, and he will love you to the very end. In the upper room, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I loved you. How did he love us? By laying his life down for us on the cross. It's the first promise that you must know as you come to communion is that you are loved. The second promise that's been fulfilled for you, you are free. The second of the four cups in Passover is known as the cup of deliverance. Again, Exodus 6, God made a promise, I will deliver you from slavery. If you know the story of Exodus, you know that the people of Israel for 400 years were in bondage. They were slaves in the country of Egypt. They were treated poorly. They were beaten. They were treated ruthlessly and without mercy. And so God raised up a servant named Moses so that he might rescue them from slavery. And through Moses, his champion, this deliverer, God would become the ultimate deliverer. What the Passover teaches us is that we are in need of deliverance. When you think about sin, when you think about disobeying God, when you think about trying to build your own kingdom or going your own way or committing treason against the commandments of God, when you think about sin, you must first recognize that sin is slavery. It's not just immoral. It's not just going your own way, but we are in bondage to sin. And the story of Passover gives us a vision of how God deliver us from bondage. Again, the Gospel of John, Jesus put it this way, John chapter 8. So Jesus said to some Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, truly you are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I wonder, do you identify with that response to Jesus tonight? When I tell you that you are a slave to sin and that through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, you have been set free, do you truly see your sin for the slavery that it really is?
I want you just for a moment to think about some transgression, some sin in your life that would be called a besetting sin. What we mean by that is it's it's the kind of thing that just continues to pop up over and over and over again. And as you look back on the course of your life, you just see it there. You think you finally have it mortified, you think it's finally gone, and then boom, there it is again. I want you to think of whatever that sin is, whatever's weighing you down, whatever has you entangled, and I want you to ask yourself this question. In the aftermath, each time that you commit that sin, each time that you disobey God and go your own way with that particular thing, are you glad that you did it? Do you find yourself wishing that you would do anything in order to never do it again? My friends, that is what we call slavery. Our sin holds us captive. And what the Passover shows us in the character of God is that he has come to set the captives free. And so as you come to the table tonight, I want you to know something. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you must know this. You are free. Your sin holds no sway over you anymore. In the same way that God rescued his people out of bondage in Egypt by the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, he has set you free from sin. It holds no power over you. The third promise. The third promise fulfilled for us that we see in communion. You are redeemed. The third of four cups in Passover is known as the cup of redemption. Exodus 6, again, this is the promise God declared for his people. He said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And what I want you to see tonight, it's this cup, the third cup, the cup of redemption that we are reading about in the gospel of Mark. I want you to look with me. Mark 14, verse 22. This is where Mark picks up in the courses of the meal of Passover. They've already had the first two cups, and now Jesus offers the bread. He says, take, this is my body. And then verse 23, he takes the third cup. Verse 23, he took the cup, and when he gave thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The third cup, the cup of redemption, was meant to represent the blood of the Passover lamb. And again, the story of the Exodus helps us understand what is going on here. Because in one statement, Jesus is connecting the entire Bible. He is fulfilling every prophecy and every promise in just one declaration by saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. God redeemed his people by taking the life of a lamb. And judgment 
He sent death to the country of Egypt. He sent wrath. Yes, because of the oppression that the Egyptians put on the people of Israel, but what you have to recognize is that he sent judgment to every single house, even the homes of the Israelites. And it was only if they took the life, if they sacrificed a lamb, and they took its blood and put it over their door, would death pass over. And so when Jesus is lifting up the cup of redemption and saying, this is my blood, what he is saying is, I am the Passover lamb. I am the lamb who was slain. The wrath of God has come in judgment, and yet I am pouring out my blood that death might pass over you. The fourth and final cup, the final promise that I want you to see tonight as we come to the table is that you are his. The final cup of Passover is known as the cup of salvation. Others call it the cup of consummation. It's the final promise in Exodus 6, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. I will be your God, you will be my people. This is the promise that is echoed from cover to cover in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Long ago, God made a promise to Abraham. I will be your God, you will be my people. God made a promise to Moses, I will be your God, you will be my people. He made a promise to David, I will be your God, you will be my people. And then through Jeremiah, he made a promise, a new promise, a new covenant that would be written on our hearts. I will be your God, you will be my people. And then in the book of Revelation chapter 21, we read that when Jesus Christ returns, we will hear a loud voice Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the consummation, the fulfillment of every promise. This is why God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. This is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live like us, to be tempted like us to be spotless and sinless unlike us, to die in our place on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin and to rise again. Why did God do all of that? Because he's drawing a people to himself. He's made a promise that he has fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is what is meant by the final cup. But I want you to look at Mark chapter 14, and I want you to notice something with me. Jesus and his disciples do not drink the final cup in the upper room. Verse 32, Jesus instead says this, 
Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What is he saying? They've ended Passover on the third cup. And not only have they ended Passover on the third cup, but what Jesus is saying is, I'm not going to drink the fourth cup. Not now. No, I'm not going to drink it until I can drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. Why did Jesus refrain from drinking the final cup? Because he knew that you and I would never be able to drink that final cup with him unless he drank a different cup first. In the Garden Gethsemane, we have this amazing insight into Christ's prayer life, his final night before he goes to the cross. He's with his disciples. We're told that he feels so sorrowful that he's sorrowful even to the point of death. And then this is his prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. What is he talking about? He's not talking about the four cups of Passover. He's not talking about the final cup, the cup of salvation. No, the only kind of cup that Jesus would want God to remove from him would be the cup of wrath. And throughout the Old Testament, we're seeing this picture of the cup of wrath. Psalm 75, verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Brothers and sisters, friends, what I want you to see is that this is the cup that we deserve to drink. The cup of judgment. The cup of wrath. You and I have committed treason with every sin. Every disobedient act, every time that we've gone our own way, we have committed high treason, and the penalty of treason is death. And because God is just and righteous, he has poured out his wrath in a cup. But because God is merciful and gracious, he sent his only son to drink that cup in your place down to the dregs. Jesus Christ drank the cup of wrath so that you and I could one day drink the cup of salvation. And so Jesus prays, not my will, but yours be done. How can he pray that? Yes, I know he's fully God and fully man, but how can he pray? If he knows that everything that's about to happen, that he is about to drink God's wrath for the sin of the whole world, how can he say, not my will, but yours be done? Because he knew the joy that awaited the final cup 
on the other side of death. He knew it because it was a song that he had been singing in his heart. The Gospel of Mark tells us that before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he and his disciples sang a hymn. I don't know if you know this, but they didn't have a Trinity hymnal back then. <laughs> Their hymns were the Psalms. And we know what Psalms that they sang after the Passover. And one of those Psalms was Psalm 116. So after he lifted the third cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood, and before he knew he would one, in just a few moments, drink the cup of wrath, Jesus sang this song. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as we come to communion tonight, what I want you to see is what we are doing is no less than drinking the final cup with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he drank the cup of wrath for you and for me, he knew that there was joy on the other side that one day he might be able to drink deeply the cup of salvation, not just with his disciples in the upper room, but with all those who trust in his salvation for all time. And so as we come, let us drink deeply, knowing that we are loved, that we've been delivered, that we have been redeemed, and yes, been bought with a price so that we might be his. Let me pray. Father, these things this week, it truly is weighty. And yet the weight that we feel even now in our souls fails in comparison to the weight that your son felt in the garden. Yet tonight we say hallelujah. And we say thanks be to God that his prayer did not end with take this cup from me, but that it continued and said, not my will, but yours be done. And we thank you, Lord God, that your will was to pour out your wrath on your own son so that we might now drink the cup of salvation. Lord, would you stir these things in new ways in our hearts tonight so that as we come to the table, as we commune with you, we would taste mercy and drink the salvation that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Amen.